0: Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. For those of you who have been regular listeners, I think we've had some great Episodes lately, and today's is going to be no different. I'm just going to jump right in today because I'm really excited to talk with Carlos Hidalgo, and he is the CEO of Anuitas. And what was interesting is we were prepping for this. He actually remembered that we had met six years ago when I spoke at a conference called Demand Gen, and I was the opening keynote speaker. And he actually remembered meeting me briefly at that conference. And I apologize; it's kind of hard sometimes when you're the speaker you don't remember everybody you meet. But uh, I thought it was a small. World, when you schedule somebody who has a lot to share about his entrepreneurial journey, and it turns out you guys have actually crossed paths before, it's always a good reminder that we live in a small world, and that's one of the reasons you want to be nice to everybody because they're gonna circle back around. So, Carlos, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure
1: to uh, reconnect with you again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I didn't give you much of an introduction. Why don't you tell everybody about Annuitas and a little bit about Carlos?
1: Yeah, Annuitas is a uh, 10-year-old firm. We really focus in on demand gen strategy and change management, and it's interesting to bring both of those together, and sometimes we... I uh, have people ask us why we brought change management with demand generation strategy together. And it's really all around the the new buyer that we serve, where as buyers, as consumers, we all have as much information as we want in the palm of our hands with our smartphones. And as a result of that, marketing and salespeople have to change the way we market and sell and communicate and engage our buyers Uh, through their purchase path. So our firm, we've got about uh, 26 people. We're based in Atlanta, Georgia. And we work with uh, mid-market to large enterprise companies who really want to transform their demand generation. I've been fortunate enough to uh, co-found the firm 10 years ago. So we've, we've just turned 10 years old. In August, we made the Inc. 5000 uh, this year because of our growth. And so I have been doing this for the last 10 years and really enjoy B2B marketing and what we've been able to do. Just wrote a book on the topic recently. So um, this is pretty much what I do on a on a day-to-day basis. And when I'm not working, I try to enjoy the outdoors here in
0: Colorado. So you started the company 10 years ago, but you had worked for other people before that. I saw in your bio that you worked for BMC Software and McAfee. What led you to becoming an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, you know, being an entrepreneur is something I've, I, I've always had inside me. Even when I was with McAfee and BMC, and, and I learned some great lessons within those companies, I always had this desire to kind of go out and do things on my own. And I was fortunate enough to have managers and bosses who allowed that entrepreneurial spirit to exist even in a corporate environment. And ultimately for me, Tom, it was, I remember telling uh, my wife, I said, I don't want to be 75 years old, sit up in bed one day and say, I wish I had for me, that entrepreneurial spirit had to take on a different level of, of starting a company. and I figured the worst thing that is ever going to happen for me in this entrepreneurial venture is I fail and I've got to go back and get a, a real job at an at a established company, which we are now, funny enough. But I figured the risk was so low for me that, I could always go back and get a job that if I didn't pursue this entrepreneurial passion that I had, I would definitely regret it later on in life.
0: Well, Carlos, you bring up an interesting point that I know is true inside of me. And I think with most people who listen to a podcast called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, who have this desire to go build something, I think your part about you didn't want to wake up one day and say, I wish I had done it. And I find the same thing because I've been working full time for six and a half years as a professional master of ceremonies and professional keynote speaker. And sometimes people will ask me, how did you you know, how did you finally decide to go do it? And in my case, I got laid off in the middle of the recession, and so I sort of got pushed out the door. Mm-hmm. But I had been bouncing around trying to figure out the industry and learn it for a long time. And I always wondered if I had never tried it, if I would have one day been 70 years old thinking, God, I could have I could have probably done that. I could have spoke at these conferences like Demand Gin and for these different software companies and associations. I, I maybe coulda, and I think actually going and trying while you're right, you, you might fail. And who knows, I still could. I always joke that a lot of my peers say that they are totally unemployable after five years of working for themselves, I think I would be a better employee. I think I think if I went to work for Annuitash, you'd go, wow, he is the most gung-ho employee. I'd come in and hug the CEO every day I got my paycheck.
1: Right. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I kind of go back and forth where I think, I, I don't think in many in respects I was a great employee to begin with because I did have that entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit where I just wanted to go off, try things, do things. Definitely didn't fit within a corporate model, but being on this side of it now, I do look back at the lessons I learned and the the way that people built into me to allow me to do what I do today and, and continue that entrepreneurial passion and spirit that we have here at Anuits and so it, it it really for me i I kind of play both sides of that coin. Fortunately enough, you know, ten years in, I, I think we're this is this is where I, I want to be, this is what mm-hmm. i I've, I've chosen to do, but you're right, I still have that view of enjoy every moment because it could all go away tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed a tomorrow uh, in life or in business. And so I do try to enjoy every day, make it for what it is, and really take – for me, my passion and try to infuse that into the company and, and to who we are from a value perspective.
0: So you mentioned that, hey, maybe I wasn't the best employee because I had that entrepreneurial drive. Now, two episodes ago, I interviewed a guy named Ken Seen. And Ken mm-hmm. has spent 25 years with the same company, but he's extremely entrepreneurial. He runs his his little section of the company like it was his own his own business. And he says that his boss sort of allows him to be an intrapreneur. His boss lets him go out and sort of own it. Uh, I joked that I had had an employer who gave me just enough rope to hang myself and, and I never did hang myself. So now as the CEO, how do you deal with those employees who have that entrepreneurial spirit who need to put it to work as an entrepreneur, or it's going to eat them up?
1: Yeah, we actually encourage it. Uh, we have a whole set of values that we share every year at our kickoff, that we print off, that we've given to every employee as part of an onboarding process. And one of those values that we have as a corporation is we want an entrepreneurial spirit. Obviously, within any organization, as you grow and as we have, you do have hierarchies as far as managers and levels and titles and things like that. But part of the the culture that we're trying to drive at Annuitous is that at any level, no matter where you are in the organization, you need to lead. And you can lead within a client and you can also lead internally. So, as we do work for clients, as we try to figure out problems, as we try to address our growth, anybody in the organization has the ability and the permission and is encouraged to speak into that. Doesn't always mean we're going to take it. But we want to encourage that entrepreneurial drive, that entrepreneurial spirit, because to me, that's where innovation comes. And if I say to people, you can only be at this level before you start to engage, well, now I'm squelching that. So we're actually looking for people who have that drive, who want to build something, who want to be part of something great. And 10 years in, we're seeing a really fast, high-growth company that is continuing to grow and we do have people at all levels of the organization saying hey you know what we ought to try this and we give them permission to go and do that so it fuels what we need to do as a company but it also helps them uh feel fulfilled in what they're doing on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah that's i mean that's great i wish i had had more bosses who were that way when i was working for companies right. So you also mentioned that you recently wrote a book tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah, so I wrote a book called "Driving Demand," and it's really all about how organizations need to transform their marketing and sales organizations from a demand generation perspective to meet the needs of the modern buyer. You know, as I mentioned early earlier in the podcast, we as consumers, you know, even in our in our day to day lives, you eat. last night I went out to a restaurant, and here we are, you know. meeting some friends 30 minutes up the road. And so what do we do? We hop on Yelp and we try to find the greatest restaurants that are in that area. And so we have this information in the palm of our hands. Our B2B buyers are the same way. And actually, we're not just dealing with one buyer. We're dealing with multiple buyers. So what I've seen over my 10 years is that while the buyer has fundamentally changed the way they buy and the processes by which they buy, marketing and sales organizations in large part... Have continued to do the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results, which is truly the definition of insanity. And we have seen some incremental improvements with different technologies and a a focus on content marketing and things like that. But what I also noticed in the market is there was a lot of, hey, here's what needs to change. And I think marketers are at a place where they know what needs to change, but they don't know how. And Driving Demand is really a book about. How to transform your culture, how to transform your people, and how to bring your people, process, content, technology, and data all aligned around the buyer. And so marketing and sales change the approach in which they market and sell. And it's what we at Inuitus call demand process. And that's really what the book is about.
0: So, Carlos, what is it that you love? About this life of being the entrepreneur you've been doing it for ten years what what still gets you really excited well there, there's
1: a couple of things that get me excited number one when I see one of our newer folks come in or, or even somebody who's been with us for a while and they truly feel fulfilled when I have People in our company say, you know what, I feel like I this is as much my company as it is yours as a founder. That to me is one of the biggest reasons I get out of bed every morning from a, a professional standpoint, is when I see that as an organization, myself and my partners are able to supply a place to work for someone who they just feel part of something great. That to me is fantastic. The other thing is when we work with a client who says, you guys have truly revolutionized our organization. I I, th- I meet more B2B marketers who feel so downtrodden, so beat up on a day-to-day basis. And when I work with a client and they say, you guys have infused our organization with energy, you've given us a sense of purpose, we're now a strategic part of the organization, that to me, I I, I can't get enough of that. That's what fuels it. That's what drives me every day is when I hear clients do that. Because I've been on that client side with McAfee and BMC. And I, and that's really what why I do what I do. And that, that's what I love. And that's what continues to get me charged up 10 years later.
0: So is there anything that you don't love about it? Are there any days you think, wow, the buck stops here on my desk. I, I could have remained an employee and passed this on to somebody else.
1: Well, well, the thing I still despise, and I keep telling my children, even though I'm the head of this organization, there are still things you have to do to what you hate. So number one, at the top of that list, and it didn't matter if I was an employer on my own firm or expense reports. I despise them. <laughs> I have to do them 12 times a year. And, and it absolutely is the bane of my existence. <laughs> um, but I, the other thing that I started to realize, especially as we grew, is I, it, 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 it's not about what you can and can't do. It's what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I, I realized a number of years ago from an operations perspective, from an internal operations perspective, I'm just not very good. Um, it's not what I enjoy. It's not my passion and my skill set and my talents just don't really bring me to that area of saying, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to be the operational head. So we brought in a COO who had been part of our organization for a long time on an advisory role. And so that's one of the things that, again, I don't really like it. Um, And I wasn't very good at it. So I started to recognize if we're going to grow the right way, we got to bring in somebody who really understands this and knows it and is actually passionate about it. And is going to do it much better than I would.
0: So I love that quote. It's, it's not what you can or can't do. It's what you're good or not good at. Mm -hmm. I think that that is like the little nugget from this episode that people are going to be tweeting when they're done and running around and and going home and telling their coworkers because that there's so much about that. It's, You know, you can do a lot of things, but if you're not good at it, get someone else who can come in and do it well, or it's just going to frustrate you.
1: Absolutely. And I think it frustrates, you know, as you grow, you're going to frustrate your employees, you're going to frustrate your business partners, you're going to frustrate a lot of different people. And um, for me, there's a lot of areas in the organization where we have people that are heading up our practice areas, heading up our, our service areas. And you know what, they're just a lot better than I am. And I'm more than happy to let them do that, because it's all part of the growth vision we have for the company.
0: So if we could go back in time and you could go back to the Carlos of 10 years ago who's still working for that other company and you're thinking about going and doing your own thing, starting, starting your own business, what advice would you have for people who, who want to become an entrepreneur
1: or a soul opener? I, w- I would say first and foremost, there's never a perfect time to go put out your shingle. I talked to more people who say, you know, how did the stars align for you? And and I did have some pretty interesting things that happened that I was able to, whether by dumb luck or or sheer brilliance, orchestrate to help me get to this. But I would say number one is, you know, just just do it. Just pick a time to do it. Whether you got to start by moonlighting and, and, and that's what I did is I went to my employer and said, here's what I want to do. And they said, hey, we we are excited for you. We affirm that in you. Um, Obviously, you still have a job here to do. But as long as you can do both, God bless you, go do it. And so I did start kind of moonlighting. But I I took that first step. And I find that that first step is the hardest. Secondly, I would say make sure your family is behind you. Um, Whether you're married, have a significant other, whatever have you. It is a A a lifestyle choice. It is something that changes dramatically. When the paycheck doesn't come, you don't have an HR department to call anymore. You only (laughs) have yourself to look at. And so you have to have that support system to make sure that you're um, really focused in. And then I would say be open to change. When I look at the last 10 years and the number of times we've pivoted as an organization on what we do and how we do it and the service we deliver, we've probably done it three or four times. And I think where one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite uh, entrepreneurial type spirits person is Marcus Lemonis, where he says, many people, one of the biggest blockades to entrepreneurship is a pride of ownership. And he said, if you're not willing to change, if you're not willing to pivot, your chances of success are going to go way down. And I think those three things for me are are what I would have told myself 10 years
0: ago. Oh, That's excellent. That's excellent advice. And, you know, that part about making sure your family's on board, you know, I I think that is so true because, you know, I couldn't have done what I've gone and, and, and did the last six years if my wife hadn't said, "Okay, I'm willing to ride this roller coaster with you. Right,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And a, and a roller coaster is a great analogy. There's some great ups, uh, and yeah. you, you can't ride it all the way to the top and you can't ride it all the way to the bottom.
0: That's right. That's right. It, it, it always goes back down and it always goes back up, is what I've learned. Absolutely. Hey, so Carlos, how important do you think networking is? for entrepreneurs and and people who grow into a CEO that, you know, this is a topic that I've spoken about for a decade. And when I actually started chasing this dream of becoming a speaker, people said, well, that's a fluffy topic. You can't speak about networking. Everybody already knows what that is. And yet in the past 10 years, I've published like six books on the topic, and there's probably been 600 books published. And it sort of goes up and down in popularity as far as people wanting speakers to come in on this topic. But right now, In every industry, this how do we really connect? And you'd think 10 years into social media, we'd have it figured out. But really, this this human-to-human engagement piece is such a hot topic right now. How do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, I think actually social media has has been a hindrance to human-to-human interaction. I think we, you know, again, how, how you opened the podcast, you and I shook hands, talked briefly six years ago. So, um, you know, I, before this podcast, I actually looked, you're, you're in my contact database. I could at least, you know, have have drawn whether or not we had done this podcast. If I was going to be in Austin, I go in and I look and say, who do I know in Austin? Oh, Tom Singer. You know, maybe Tom will remember me. Maybe I'll shoot him a note and just see if we can grab coffee or, or grab lunch. I think networking is huge, and what I, what I find so much and what frustrates me personally in networking, is I truly want networking to be a, a give and take, and it doesn't mean you have to stay up with me on a monthly basis or shoot me an email update. I'm more than willing to help you, but at the same time, I think some people approach networking and, and always what is it for me? What's in it for me? So if I can connect with this person and this person and this person, maybe I can call on them later. I think the people who are best at networking understand I am going to be really, really good at networking and I'm going to help grow my business and share my passion if I understand what's in it for them, what's in it for the person that I'm networking with. And if I can be If I can be willing to help them, if I can share some information, if I can listen to their ideas, that goes a whole lot further than if I feel like you're just trying to suck something out of me. And I think networking is important, but I think a lot of people need to understand change the paradigm and say, what's in it for the other person? What can I offer them? And then when you do that, it's much more likely that they're going to say, you know what, here's some things I can offer you, whether it be advice, whether it be encouragement, whether it be support. And then you know what, sooner or later, one of those may come in and say, hey, I know Tom Singer, you guys need to be connected Tom, meet my, my colleagues, they're looking for a speaker, and that's how it works. But I think if you go into it with what's in it for me, you're already starting from a, from a weak position.
0: No, I think, I mean, you're You you you're preaching to the choir here with me because I, I definitely agree, and we're a good example. You know, meeting someone once at a conference doesn't make them part of your network. It makes them someone who you've crossed paths with. You have to have that additional ongoing some sort of contact. And, right. you know, like you said, you know, as we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking now. now I've had you on the podcast, but because we had met once, now that I remember that – All of a sudden, I feel a little closer to you than some of the other podcast guests, and now it sort of falls to me to what do I do to follow up on this because it takes several interactions with people to actually – produce someone who is actually a mutually beneficial relationship within your network and meeting i'm just you know sitting here laughing because you know shame on me i never followed up necessarily but at the same time it's a reminder that meeting someone once doesn't really make them part of your network
1: no it, it doesn't but i also think you know i hear so many people who say well i don't really know them i i, I can't reach out I, I think about the first time i talked with ardeth alby uh i think it was about seven years ago i had seen some of her stuff i had seen her speak And one day I just picked up the telephone and I called her and I said, Ardith, you have no idea who I am. I said, I don't want to encroach on your time, but I would like to see if there's some opportunity for us to just connect so I can just learn more about you and, and kind of inform you of what we're doing. And lo and behold, she said, you know what? I've got some time now. We ended up on a half hour conversation. Um, I look now, seven years down the road, Ardeth was a a huge coach and mentor of mine for my book writing. Uh, We share information. We refer back to each other. Every time we're at a conference, we make sure we grab time. She is now part of my network. I consider her a friend. Right. But I also think you've got to be willing to put yourself out there because Ardith could have very well said, you know what? I really don't have time. And that's okay. If she didn't have time, she didn't have time. But I think you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And to your point, Tom, you got to be willing to follow up because one interaction does not mean we're in the same network. Even if we have the same friends or the, you know, the same Facebook friends and we're connected on LinkedIn, that really doesn't bring us to that human interaction that you referenced.
0: No, I, I, I fully agree. But you bring up another interesting point, and that is if you want to build a relationship or, heck, if you want anything – Make the ask don't be scared right. to make the ask you know you 're right. people always say, "Well, I only met them once i i, I don 't know if I could connect you. Well, make the ask if the person says no i, I don 't want that connection that's great too. I always tell people, and this is true like when i when I talk to to people like, like hey, can you introduce me to the person who plans your uh, your users' conference for your company because I do this MC program. They're like, well, you know, our head of sales always MCs it. Well, do they like doing it? Are they the best person to do it? Right. And I said, you know, if, if you just make the introduction, they can – no is a perfectly good answer. And I always say let your meeting planner or your, your person in charge of it know. That telling me no, I, I'm not offended but right. if they don't have a conversation we can't find that win-win thing so your your example of artith that's a perfect example is hey do you have a few minutes and that led to mentorship and to friendship and to mutually beneficial stuff throughout 7 years that's what we have to do more of and it's great when a ceo says that because then people tend to listen more when I, you know, I, when I say it, they're like, "Well, but you're a marketing and, and networking guy."
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's true, and I've been a, I've been a huge recipient of it, and I like to think that there's others who can say, you know, I, I've received a lot from Carlos as a result of this. So I, I do really try to practice what I preach.
0: So I have a new section to the show called Three Pearls of Wisdom, and I'm just going to pepper you with questions that I didn't give you in advance, and I just want a really quick answer of what comes. So, sure. Carlos, where do you find inspiration? You know, I find
1: inspiration, first of all, first and foremost, from the team that I'm I'm privileged to manage. Um, we've got a, a stellar group of, uh, I don't even call them employees, I hate that term, but they're really team members because they spur me on as much as I like to think I spur them on. And that's really where I draw my inspiration on a daily basis professionally.
0: So the second pearl of wisdom is how do you celebrate the small victories?
1: You know, I, I must admit, Tom, I'm probably not as good as that, at that as I would like to. I, I tell our team a lot to celebrate what we've done, but I probably need to do more of that, there are some times where I'll just go for a run, and I'll think about how far we've come and how fortunate we are and how privileged I am to be in this spot. Um, So I I try to get outdoors to do that, and I do try to take a few minutes, pause, and really be thankful for what we've been able to do as an organization.
0: And our third pearl of wisdom is, what is the best book you ever read for business?
1: I think the best book I've ever read was by Chip and Dan Heath, Switch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. the The best book. And it's really about, you know, again, what I would label as transformation. And for me, because I'm so passionate about that topic, it was just something that really resonated with me. And when you can, when you read the words of those guys who I think are are genius, you know, it's such a practical book and it really kind of gives you almost case study material of. Hey, here's how I can apply that in my organization. So for me personally, it's a book I've read twice. I've highlighted it. I've notated it. Uh, I think it's been really for me something that I've wanted to um, continue in our organization. And I also first read it at a time where we were doing another pivot. So it really resonated with me.
0: So I actually, I think it came out like six years ago, five years ago, I actually shared the stage with the younger of the two brothers. I think it's Dan uh, Mm -hmm. at a CIO magazine event. And we were the two keynoters of the event. And I have to say that in addition to being brilliant, he's a really nice guy as well. So I always, I always find that like a bonus when someone is really brilliant and they're famous and they have a bestseller and then backstage you talk to them and they're just really cool.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm a little envious. I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs)
0: lie. Hey, I've got a couple, more questions for you but first i gotta thank the sponsor of the show and for those of you who listen regularly you know the sponsor of this show is podfly productions podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast podfly sets you up with the right equipment training and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing they do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content growing your audience and interviewing cool people like carlos hidalgo if you want to start a podcast jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for my listeners. So Carlos, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing that a is doing right now?
1: You know, I think some of the coolest things we're doing, and it's being led by our chief strategy officer, Adam Needles, is we are bringing business intelligence and optimization and deep dive analytics to demand generation, where we are helping marketers understand not just contribution to pipeline and revenue and quantitative analysis, but truly understanding what pieces of content and what channels are driving that performance so that we're continually tweaking and optimizing the programs. And uh, as I mentioned, Adam is the, is the driver behind this. He's leading this. We've got several of our clients doing that. And when we get to see conversion rates an opportunity to close rates at, you know, north of 55, 60 percent, and we're able to do and turn marketing from a true art to a true science, that to me is, is extremely exciting.
0: So, Carlos, we could talk about you and your company all day long, but I think that the best entrepreneurs are observers, and so I love to ask my guests, who is it that you see out there that's doing something really cool who's not part of your company?
1: Yeah, I would, uh, I would say Katie Martel at Cintel. Katie is a co-founder and the CMO. Katie's in my network. I know her really well. Just I was able to spend a... Some time with her a few weeks ago at the Marketing Prost Conference. And they have, uh, Katie and her organization, have really grasped onto helping buyers or helping customers understand this whole idea of buyer personas and really turning this into a software where organizations can start to build out profiles on their key buyers. And Katie and I have talked for, for quite a while and one of the things she said, which I loved, is she said, I just got to the point where I thought, I've got to do it now. I'm going to do it. And she, you know, like I referenced earlier, she had great family support. She told me that her her dad had said to her, the worst you're going to do is fail. Go try it. And so uh, they just came out with a press release last week. They're already at 350 customers, I think. And to be around Katie, see her passion for it, see her excitement for it, um, I know she's working tirelessly and, and working many hours, but she for me is somebody who uh, really went out, really did it. She's she's a young entrepreneur, and you know one of the conversations we had is the role model she can be for young women who want to do that as well. So I, I applaud her, and I think she's doing some really really cool stuff.
0: Now that's a great story, and it's always fun to see your friends succeed, don't you think? Absolutely, I couldn't be happier for. Her. So Carlos, in addition to being great observers. I think my favorite entrepreneurs, they also want to give back to the greater good. It's more than just making money. They want to leave an impact. So what is it that you do to serve others?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost is I try to invest as much as I can into my kids. I have two who are in college now and only only two left at home, but I also try to seek out People that are saying, Hey, I kinda wanna I'm thinking about doing this, I'm I'm wanting to do this. So I try to make as much time as possible to meet with people and just share my story. And and in so doing, if I'm asked advice or career advice, kind of coach them in the way that I've had many people who've built into me professionally and personally. So I try to make myself as available as possible to grab coffee, grab lunch, do it over the telephone and and kind of be in that I, I hate to call myself a mentor, but I am fortunate enough to have to be mentoring a few people, some who are a little bit older than I am and trying to move down this road, some as young as high school who are saying, hey, look, this is really what I want to do. Can can I pick your brain for a while? And so for me, giving back in that way without looking at a clock, without trying to, to – you know, uh, document how many hours you gave away or whatever. To me, that's just what's important. And I I was at a conference uh, a number of years ago where Kevin Spacey spoke and one of the quotes he gave, which I loved, he said, I I am convinced that when you reach the level in your career that you wanted to reach, you are obligated to send the elevator back down. And so that is something I try to do on a a pretty regular basis.
0: God, I love that Kevin Spacey quote. And I've heard it before. And I I just sort of get chills when you said it, because it's so true. And I run into people all the time who are like, oh, "I'm sick and tired of people calling to pick my brain." And I'm like, "How many people are calling?" And, and these aren't people who are, you know, CEOs of giant growing companies like you. These are people who are solopreneurs, you know, who are like me, just kind of speakers or consultants. And I'm like, "How many calls are you getting?" Cuz I get like 3 or 4 of those a month and I can right. fit in a, a short phone call or if they live locally. Now one of the tricks that I do is if they live here in Austin, Texas and anybody wants to talk to me about writing a book or becoming a speaker or anything else they think I might have done well and you know, I'm happy to share that information for that same reason. Everybody did it for me. Like I can't even list the amount of people who gave me their their time and their advice. But my thought is is that, you know, if I don't know them, if I don't have a connection, if it's random, I say, Hey, I'm a morning person. Meet me at seven or seven thirty at the Starbucks near my house. And mm-hmm. some people say, well, that's too far away. And I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> you know, that's like a really good barometer. <laughs> it's like, a, you know, that's Austin's right. not a big town. I'm not asking you to, you know, cross Los Angeles County, but I do. I live on the outskirts of town, but I'm still in the city limits. And I just tell people, sure, I'll meet you. If I'm not traveling, I'm happy to meet you for an hour or whatever. And I try not to schedule back to back so I don't have to watch the clock. And I just don't understand these people who are like, oh, I never do that. I'm like, God, I think you got to.
1: Yeah, and the number of people who did it for me, <clears throat> the number of people that I was able to, again, pick their brains, get their insight, and who still, some of them still follow up and say, hey, it's exciting to see what you're doing. And honestly, when I look at the company, when I look at the the book, when I look at what we've been able to do as a team, I think, boy, there is no way I've done this alone. There are so many people who have their thumbprints all over me uh, professionally, personally, and also from an organizational perspective, how could you not repay that? And, and to use that cliched term, pay it forward to me, I actually feel honored when somebody says, Hey, I, I deem you enough of a professional and I deem you enough as someone that I want to connect with. Do you have time? I really, truly feel humbled and honored by that.
0: Well, Carlos, Uh, This has been a great conversation, and I know that there's going to be somebody listening to this podcast who's going to be like, I I need to find out more about that guy. So if someone wants to know more about Carlos or if they want to know about Anuitas, how do they find you?
1: Yeah, they can find us online at anuitas.com, A-N-N-U-I-T-A-S.com. I'm also on Twitter, and I use it as a very conversational tool, at C-A-Hidalgo, that's H-I-D A-L-G-O, and then you can email me at Carlos Hidalgo at com. Ah,
0: oh, that's just fantastic. I gotta tell you, this has been such a great conversation. And sort of an example, I'm sort of kicking myself. You talk about opportunity lost. You know, we met six years ago and 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 we didn't connect and everything out of your mouth, I'm like, you know, wow, I I I should be, like, great friends with this guy. I should have followed up. I mean, who knew? You know, and this is a reminder to all of us that ships pass in the night all the time, and there's some really cool people out there who we meet for five minutes. You know, try your best to try and keep some of those relationships alive because I I feel like we should be best friends by now, and, you know, six years have gone by. So uh, I'd like to keep in touch with you.
1: I think that would be great, and so I would say the blame falls on both sides, and, uh, but now that I've got all your contact details, maybe I'll make it down to Austin.
0: Excellent. Well, when you're in Austin, we'll go eat barbecue together.
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: Thanks, right. Tom. Hey, thank you very much for being a guest, and for those of you who listened, thank you for listening through the episode, because I always say, and they say it in the outro, without the listeners, there is no show. We're going to be back in a couple of days with a brand new episode where I'm going to interview somebody else who's really cool, so tune back in, but in the meantime,